Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6. Uh, I'm excited about preaching because I'm preaching my life's verse uh, and get a little chance to share with you why I chose this as my life's verse. Galatians chapter 6, and, and by the way, I'm still looking for three more individuals that can help with my research. Uh, so if you're able to help, uh, I'll be over on the side here. Just, you know, come up to me and uh, let me know, and we'll get your name down and get you all set. So uh, thank you so much for helping me with that. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, let's start with verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Father, how we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm humbled to be here and opening up your word, and I pray, Lord, that you speak through me. Uh, give me the words to say, Lord. I pray that you prepare the hearts to receive the message, Lord, uh, that's so important for us to hear and understand. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise, and thank you for uh, our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So my last verse is verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And I believe the Lord gave me this verse because he knew that I had a tendency to glory or boast in myself and my accomplishments that are actually a result of God's work in my life, work through my life. You know, every day of my life, I struggle with pride. Uh, I struggle with looking at myself and, and looking at my accomplishments rather than looking at God doing them through me and that He is the one who gives me the power. They are evident uh, sometimes around me. Sometimes they, uh, the, the thoughts of pride come out. But most of the time, they're in my thinking, uh, and it attacks the way I look at myself and look at others. I'm always reminded also of Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. It says, for um, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if I have a prideful heart, then I'm a prideful person. It may not come out, may not be very evident for those around me, uh, but there's that pride that dwells inside of me. And I would imagine a crowd this size, there's probably maybe one or two here that struggle with pride as well. And just to, just to see, I thought we'd go through the top 10 signs that you're prideful. And let's see, you don't have to, you know, shout or wave when this is your, uh, you know, your sign. But just listen to these. Uh, so number 10, you refuse directions or help from somebody else. Okay. Some of you may feel that way. Uh, number nine, you tend to be critical of others. Okay. That probably doesn't happen here at West Coast very often, does it? Um, you think you know more than your teachers. <laughs> um, hmm, that's an interesting one. Uh, not having a teachable spirit sometimes identifies that. Uh, 
Uh, you won't associate yourself with those that are unpopular uh, or those that are ordinary. Okay? Number six, uh, you are overly obsessed with your public appearance. Um, you may have gone to the, the restroom to make sure you're, you're all set before you came to chapel. Um, that may be a sign that there's a little pride in there. Number five, uh, you always want to be the center of attention. Okay. Number four, uh, you find it difficult to accept constructive criticism. Number three, uh, you constantly check how many likes you have on Facebook or how many followers you have. Okay. Maybe we're hitting a little closer to home now. Um, people's imperfections irritate you. Okay. Anybody have any problems with their roommates? <laughs> little quirks that they might have? And I love the last one. The top reason or top sign that you're prideful, uh, you don't think you struggle with pride. Okay. So I think we all recognize that pride is something that we all struggle with, uh, something that we know that we have to deal with. Uh, because pride is very deceptive. Uh, it causes us to skew our, our thoughts of ourselves. Uh, Galatians 6, 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So if I have a prideful thought about myself and think I'm better than what I actually am, I'm deceiving myself. Um, and, and I need to have a realistic view. If I think that anything I do of any good eternal value is of my own doing, I'm deceiving myself. I know that God is there to provide the strength for me to work, uh, and I don't want to take the credit from him. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 6 says that uh, he giveth more grace, that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and I think the, the danger that we have of pridefulness in ministry is that one thing, it can ruin your ministry. Uh, that if I look at myself and think too highly of myself or think that I'm anything and I take glory away from God, uh, that's sure to ruin your ministry. Um, God cannot bless you uh, when you try to take credit for his work. Uh, Psalm, four, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 10 verse 4 says, The wicked, uh, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Uh, God is not in his thoughts. So if you're prideful, you're not going to think about God. You're not going to ask him for help. You're not going to pray to him as much as you should. And we have to have a realistic approach and understanding of exactly who God is. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Uh, we can't steal the glory from God. We can't say, look what I have done when God has done it right through us, when he is the one who should get the glory. So pride will destroy your, your ministry, but pride will also destroy your marriage. Uh, I know not many of you are married right now, but just something to think about uh, as you enter into relationships. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Um, you ever have an argument with somebody? You ever realize that there's a pridefulness that's, that's happening, that's causing this uh, conflict between you and somebody else? Uh, only by pride cometh contention. Uh, guys, if you think you're God's gift to women, uh, you're in for a rude awakening. Um, that's a prideful thought. Uh, I, I think my marriage above anything else has taught me how prideful and how selfish I am. Uh, because we're told in, in Scripture, 
Philippians chapter 2, let each esteem other better than themselves. Um, And sometimes when you go from being single to being married, you start realizing that uh, I'm in this this mode of thinking about myself only, where you have to start thinking about somebody else. Um, And what we understand is that God will humble those that are prideful. Uh, Proverbs 29, 23, uh, man's pride shall bring him low. Um, And so God does a work in us. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 tells us of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who took pride in himself and his accomplishments, and God humbled him in a tremendous way. And verse 37 says, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. He is able to make low. And God has used Galatians 6.14 in my life uh, to teach me some important truths about this idea of pridefulness. Um, And the full significance of this verse uh, really happens when we look at the full book of Galatians. What is the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatian church about, and, and how does it fit into it? Because the, the verse that's my life verse takes place toward the end of it, so it's kind of a culmination of what Paul is talking about within this book. So let me just take a moment to look at some of the backgrounds of the book of Galatians. Uh, as the, the early church started to grow, um, it was a transition from Judaism to Christianity. Uh, so the, the early Christians were all Jewish. Uh, but as the gospel started to spread further and further out, more Gentiles got saved. Uh, and so it was moving away from being a, a Jewish-centered religion or a, a fraction of the Jewish nation to being uh, this, other, um, this other belief system all by itself. And it was after the uh, after the, the Apostle Paul came to the Galatian churches on his first missionary journey, uh, that he started the churches, he left. And, and as he left, there were these individuals, uh, they were called Judaizers. They were ones that were Jewish, and what they tried to do is they tried to take their Jewish beliefs and combine them with their Christian beliefs, so that you had to be a full Jew in order for you to be actually saved. So they're compelling people that if you wanted to be saved, you had to become Jewish first, and then you could be saved. Well, that was not, never God's way. Uh, that was never God's way of uh, expressing the gospel. The gospel is simply by faith through Jesus Christ, uh, faith in his shed blood on the cross. Uh, you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to go through any Jewish rituals. But these Judaizers would come in and they would preach uh, another gospel. And that gospel was a false gospel. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, the law has passed. We don't have to follow the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Uh, we have the, the grace that we live by. Not that we uh, forsake all of the commands of God, but we understand uh, that we don't have to participate in those Jewish rituals. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But now... Uh, We are delivered from the law. Uh, And so the law should have nothing to do with it. And so anybody who tries to bring the law into salvation is preaching another gospel. Um, And that was something that the Apostle Paul was was strictly against. And one of the main things that these Judaizers would do is that they would come in, they would preach that people who wanted to be Christians had to be Jewish first. And the initiation into Judaism was the ritual of circumcision. And circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people. Uh, In Genesis chapter 17, uh, verse 11, um, it says, And 
that you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between uh, me and you. And God had made this covenant with the nation of Israel. Uh, he made it with Abraham, but ultimately with all of his descendants in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, he promised them land, seed, and blessing. Uh, but in order to receive, in order to be a part of that promise of God, uh, the Jewish males had to go through circumcision. Um, and that would allow them to inherit all these promises that God had given to the nation. Um, and God's covenant relationship with Israel is distinct from God's relationship with us believers of the New Testament. And we have to understand there's some that try to mix them together. There's some that say, well, we replaced Israel. No, we haven't. God still has a plan for them. But at this time, God has a plan specifically for us. Um, when Abraham believed God, uh, God gave him righteousness because of that. So this idea of combining Jewish practices with faith um, in Christ is taking combining works with salvation. Uh, and that should never be. Um, it, we were saved simply by the grace of God. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace uh, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Romans 11.6, uh, and if by grace is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more. And we have to be very careful of our gospel. Uh, we don't want to tell people, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. Uh, we don't really tell them that you have to come forward in a church to be saved. That's adding works to salvation. We have to be very careful. And we have to understand what these Judaizers were doing and what Paul uh, was responding and reacting against. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, uh, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace. And the seriousness of this, you know, we may not understand how serious this is, but, but this was very serious to the Apostle Paul. Um, turn to chapter 1 of Galatians uh, and look at verse 8 and 9, chapter 1 of Galatians. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel unto you than that which ye have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Uh, as we said before, so say I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, the word accursed there is the Greek word anathema. Uh, and anathema means uh, being delivered to destruction, uh, being condemned to hell. <laughs> that is a strong language from the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's saying if you preach another gospel other than the gospel that you've already received, the gospel of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, faith, uh, salvation by faith alone through the grace of God, uh, let him be accursed. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatian church. It's, it's very interesting. The Galatian letter is one of the very few letters that the Apostle Paul wrote where he has no uh, commendation for the Galatians. Um, he, he starts out in the letter saying, I'm so amazed that you're so quickly removed from the gospel. Uh, and so it's very important that we understand this is the, the background to the book of Galatians, what was going on, um, and making sure that we understand uh, that uh, the, the seriousness, the offense of these Judaizers, um, even as bad as you think about the Corinthian church was, uh, Paul still praised them, but he didn't praise the Galatian church. And, and the question is, what's the difference? Um, well, in the Corinthian letter, as Paul writes to uh, the Corinthian church, uh, their issue was wrong living. He had to change their behavior. But with the letter to the Galatian churches, uh, it was wrong doctrine. 
Um, and that was something that Paul did not want to tolerate. Uh, and so he uh, very adamantly comes to them and warns them about what they're doing. And throughout the whole letter, you see Paul uh, talking about this, this, this um, false teaching that's been going on, uh, what the Judaizers are doing. Uh, and it's important that we understand how he's looking at it. Um, and, and I believe the, the emphasis on doctrine is so important. Um, we sometimes maybe minimize doctrine uh, to be more practical, but uh, I think we have to understand, as, as Paul was concerned about doctrine, I think we should be very concerned about it. Um, are we protective of our gospel, as the Apostle Paul was, where he said, uh, let you be condemned to hell if you preach another gospel? Um, and I think it's important for us to recognize that. Um, as the Apostle Paul concludes this letter then, he's making the last appeal to the Galatians, uh, with regard to uh, the contrast of what the Judaizers were doing uh, and the gospel that he proclaimed to them. And if you look back at chapter 6, verse 12 again, Galatians 6, 12, it says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. So he's talking about the Judaizers, that they're trying to come in, they're trying to take over, they're trying to, to teach you something that's false. Uh, they constrain you to be circumcised. In other words, they're forcing you or they're, they're teaching you that in order to be saved, you have to go through this Jewish ritual of being circumcised, um, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Uh, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, uh, but desire to have you circumcised uh, that they may glory in your flesh. And these Judaizers did what they did uh, because they thought it was necessary for salvation. They misunderstood the, the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we see that they were afraid of the persecution uh, because those that were Jewish, they looked at the cross as um, a curse. And so if they just preached Christ crucified, uh, the Jews weren't happy with it. Uh, but they were okay with them saying, okay, you have to become a Jew and then you can believe in these other things. Uh, they were hypocritical. Uh, where uh, they would force these people to get circumcised, but yet they didn't keep the law themselves. Uh, and so there's this, um, uh, this evil that's working in the church that Paul addresses. Uh, but the one issue that we see also is that they were very prideful. Uh, they boasted in the number of people that they converted to their gospel, uh, the number of people that got circumcised. Uh, each convert was just another notch in their belt. And in this, they would boast and brag. And, and that's the background to what the Apostle Paul is reacting to as he uh, gives us uh, the verse in, um, in um, uh, verse 14 in chapter number 6. Uh, and once again, look at verse 13. It says, For neither themselves who are circumcised keep the law. They're being hypocritical. They want you to keep the law, but they're not keeping the law. Uh, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. They may glory in the fact that they were able to convert you. Now, Paul goes on to say, verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So I think we realize that pride is an issue that we as Christians face. And we have to be aware of just how bad it is to really make sure that we want to make a change. But the question is, how do we change? 
How do we deal with pride in our life? And I think that's really what the, the, um, the verse 14 is really giving us. It's giving us Paul's way of keeping from pride. And so we want to look at three truths that will help us to overcome pride. Three truths to help us overcome pride. And the first thing we need to do is we need to reject uh, the evil practice of boasting. So point number one, reject the evil practice of boasting in myself. Uh, I have to reject it. I have to recognize uh, I have it. And hopefully through that, uh, that uh, list of signs of being prideful, uh, maybe one, of those, one or two of those stood out. Uh, I think probably just about every one of them stands out for me. Uh, and we realize, okay, we are prideful. So the first thing I have to do is I have to admit I'm prideful, but I have to then reject that pride in my life. I, I need to do something uh, about it. And Paul here says, God forbid that I should glory. God forbid that I should boast. God forbid that I should be proud in my own activities. As those Judaizers were proud in the converts that they made, Paul says, I, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to glory in my own accomplishments. I don't want to glory in my own achievements. Now, let me get a little technical for just a moment for the Greek scholars that are out there. Um, the, the words that Paul uses here, he says, me geneto. Um, me is not. Geneto is from the word genomai, to be or become. Um, and uh, a little bit more technicality, uh, it's uh, an aorist middle optative mood. Okay. Now, we don't talk about the optative mood very much in Greek class because there's not many of them in the New Testament. But here we have one. Uh, and this mood talks about a wish or a desire. It's not real action. Uh, it's not a, a potential action. It's not commanded action. But it's a wish or desire. We might even say it's a prayer uh, that Paul might be praying. Uh, and, and so he's desiring that there never will be a moment in his life where pride comes in. There's never a moment in his life. And I think that's what we need to do. We have to make a determination today. Um, I don't want pride in my life. I see the damage pride can do. I can see how that can hinder people from coming to Christ. I don't want to hinder anybody. I don't want anything to happen um, as far as my pride getting in the way of the, the Lord working in and through me. And Paul makes that statement, God forbid. And if you look through the New Testament, there's about 14 times the Apostle Paul uses that same phrase, God forbid, or it's translated as God forbid, but behind it is meganeto. And it's a very emphatic way of saying no. May it never be, is really what he's saying literally. May it never be. May my life never be full of pride. May my life never be something where I take credit for something that God has done in my life. And I think we have to come to that point where we recognize that we are prideful, uh, that that tendency is there, um, and that we need to make sure that we, we say, no, I will not be prideful. Um, and I think the reason the Apostle Paul said this with so much emphasis is because he knew that he was prone to be prideful. Um, you think about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where, where the Apostle Paul was, was taken up into seeing the third heaven. And something like that could have been something that he could have boasted or he could have been proud of. But God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. It says, it's not expedient for me doubtless to glory, but it says in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure. 
Unless I should exalt in what God has allowed me to see, um, God gave me this thorn in the flesh. Uh, kind of a way to humble him. And I know God sometimes brings things into my life to humble me, to realize I'm nothing. God is everything. I'm nothing at all. Why does Paul make such strong statements about boasting? Why shouldn't we? Why should we make these strong statements? That he knows that all he is and all he does is from Almighty God. Why should I never boast? Because I'm not doing anything. God's doing it through me. And once we start to think that I'm anything, that anything that comes out of my life is of my own doings, we're taking the credit away from God. And God is not pleased with that. He can't bless us as a result of that. Um, where then is boasting? It's excluded. Uh, but why, what law? The law of works? No. Uh, the law of faith. Uh, why is boasting excluded? Because I'm not saved by my own works. Uh, that's what the Judaizers were trying to do. Uh, you have to do this work and you'll be saved. No. I'm not saved by anything. I, I have nothing to boast in except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Pride is something that should not have any place in a Christian's life. And we need to make that determination. And there's many things that we can boast of. We can boast of our preaching abilities, our singing, our teaching, our wealth, our knowledge, our status, our rank, even our conversion rate. You know, how many people did you lead the Lord last week? That can even be a source of pride, and we have to be aware of it. And think about the Apostle Paul. He had a lot to, to, to be proud, uh, proud of. Um, you'd say he's an overachiever. Uh, just turn back to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13 of Galatians. It says, For you have heard of my conversion in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church. So when he was against the true gospel, when he was persecuting the church, he did it with, with everything he had. It was beyond measure. And I wasted it, verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous. So, so Paul was an overachiever. If you gave him a task to do, uh, he would do it, and he would do it with excellence. Uh, and it was recognized by him. Uh, I don't want to go into all, all the other verses, but just mark down Philippians chapter 3, where Paul talks about that, that others might have confidence in the flesh, that, that I can have confidence. Um, and others might trust the, the flesh. Paul says, I more. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about that he is circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he was a model Jewish citizen. He was the one that if anybody was a, a Jewish person, they would look up to what the Apostle Paul had to do. He had a lot to be prideful of. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, just mark that down again. Uh, and, and Paul also excelled in his persecution for being a Christian. Um, he goes and says, five times I received 49 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And, and all those things the Apostle Paul could boast and brag about. But what does he say? God forbid. 
God forbid that I should glory. God forbid that I should glory. What is glorying? It's, it's boasting. It's taking pride in something that we do and say, look what I have done. What does the Bible say? Pride cometh before a fall. We have to understand how bad pride is in our life and make that commitment that we want to remove it. Um, why is boasting so bad? Um, it, it causes us to exalt ourselves, but when we exalt ourselves, what happens? We put other people down around us. Um, Galatians 5.26 says, Lest, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Um, it, it causes all kinds of problem uh, within those that are believers. Um, we don't want to think ourselves better than we are. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And, and that verse or that chapter goes on to talk about one who was truly humble, who had the greatest to boast about, and that's our Lord. Uh, it says in verse 5, says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Um, he, he didn't hold on to, and he didn't boast and brag about who he was. He was humble. Uh, and he's a good example for us to live by and understand. Um, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Um, what a wonderful picture that we have of humility and what we should be as, as believers. Um, so how do we overcome pride? Well, uh, the first thing we have to do is we have to reject it from our life. If we see pride creeping up, or maybe if we ask somebody else, do I seem prideful? Uh, that we put it to death, we, we stop it in its tracks so we don't do it. We have to reject it. Uh, but I think the second means of overcoming pride is that if we reject pride in ourselves, we take pride in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the second point is to focus on the cross of Christ. God forbid that I should glory, save or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't focus on yourself, focus on Christ's cross. Focus on the achievement of Christ as he died there. He suffered and bled and died for each and every one of us. What are the achievements that I might even try to make? Nothing compared to what Christ has done. When we look to the cross, we see how insignificant we are. And we know that God can still work through us and he can do great things, but we have to focus on him rather than on ourselves. The, the idea of boasting in the cross for somebody who is coming from uh, that culture that the Apostle Paul lived in would seem very bizarre. For us, it's just kind of a normal thing. Let's, not, let's boast in the cross of Christ. You know, we, we look at the cross as a plus sign, and, and it is. But in that time, remember, the cross was a symbol of death. It, it was a violent and shameful death that only the worst of criminals would, would suffer. It would be like if we said... Um, I boast in my lethal injection. 
or I boast in my electric chair, or I boast in uh, my gas chamber. Um, that's really what, what the, the emphasis, that's what people around the Apostle Paul heard when, when he would say these things. <clears throat> uh, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of law, being made a curse for us. Written, uh, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Uh, for a, a Jewish person, uh, the, the idea of somebody hanging on the cross uh, was uh, repulsive to them. Uh, they didn't, you know, they thought, okay, this is, this is somebody who's been accursed. It, it couldn't be our Messiah. Our Messiah would never hang on the cross. He's going to rule and reign. But they didn't understand the plan of God. And uh, the Jews were offended by the cross. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Uh, the, for the Judaizers, the cross was an object of shame. But it's the very thing in which Paul boasted and bragged. Um, we can boast in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the source of our gospel. And if we take that gospel message, we don't want to boast in our action of taking the gospel to somebody else. We want to boast in our Lord and what he's done for us. Um, I owe him everything. Uh, there's nothing that I have that is not the Lord's. I owe him everything because I'm only who I am because of what the Lord has done for me. Uh, he paid a debt that I could never repay. And I owe my all to him. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's Paul's message, <laughs> the cross. Uh, he wasn't focusing on himself. He was focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one author put it this way, the cross of Christ is the key to St. Paul's life, and that the life is itself the best human exponent of the cross of Christ. He saw no grounds for boasting or rejoicing or living, save in that by the cross is to be understood as the atoning death, of which it was the instrumental cause. It stands for Christ crucified. Uh, let me just read this other article. Sometimes... <clears throat> Sometimes the way things have been put in, in ages past uh, are just so vivid. So just, just bear with me as I read this. It says, Behold, our divine high priest, offering up the great sacrifice required for the redemption of the souls of men, uh, the very Son of God pouring forth his own blood upon the altar, an atonement for the sins of the whole world. Behold this, and you will acknowledge that though there was never any spectacle so sad, Yet never were there so glorious, so worthy of contemplation by men and angels. And consider to what might, mighty results that dark hour of his humiliation anguish is giving birth. And despise the vain pomp of the world in comparison with the splendor of his sufferings. For there as he hangs on the accursed tree uh, is the great captain of our salvation, fighting our battles and vanquishing our enemies. Uh, there is he for us, bruised the head of Satan, taking the sting of death, robbing the grave of victory, disarming hell of its terrors. 
Surely the vain glories of earth, when contrasted with those real triumphs of the Savior's cross, must lose their attraction in view of every Christian. Can we look upon him whom we have pierced and see him stretched on the cross uh, for us, enduring the pain, despising the shame, and yet regard with satisfaction the scene of vanity and sin which occasioned him thus to suffer? Can we love the world and things that are in the world while our view is fixed on him who gave himself expressly that he might deliver us from the present evil world, that he might see us free from the enchantments uh, of this uh, evil world? Um, <clears throat> you can't look to the cross and be proud. You can't look to the cross and think that you are anything. Uh, we only can look at the cross and realize, <clears throat> I'm nothing. But Christ is everything. So how do we reject pride in our life? First of all, we have to reject that evil practice. We have to be aware of it. We have to say, uh, I will not be proud. God forbid that I should glory. Uh, then we have to change our focus away from ourselves and place it on the, the blessed cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, the shed blood of our Lord. But there's a third means to overcome pride, uh, and that is to die to the things of the world. Die to the things of the world. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Uh, the world here is translated from the Greek word cosmos, which means um, the orderly system, uh, meaning the universe and the earth usually. Uh, but he's not referring to the physical world, but he's referring to the, the evil world system in which we live. Uh, that he's been crucified to the world. He's been crucified to the, the sin-fallen world. Uh, not this wonderful creation of God, but what man's sin has destroyed of God's wonderful creation. Um, the idea of the world being crucified to each other, uh, that they're dead to each other, uh, that they cannot influence one another. Uh, a dead person has no power over me. Uh, if there's a violent person and he's dead, he cannot do any more violence. So if the worldly systems are there and they're dead to me, they can impact me. They can influence me. Uh, for the Christian, the attractions, are the, uh, the attractions of the world are as nothing to us. Um, look at chapter 5, verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. We've crucified the, the, the fleshly desires, the sinful desires, uh, with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I should no longer desire the pleasures and the traps of this world. I don't need to take pride in the things of this world or anything that the world might give to me to make me think that I'm, pride, that I'm anything. They are dead to me. The world has no more influence over the believer. Its dominion has been broken. We're no longer in bondage to it. Christ has set us free from this world. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just even think, he loved me. <laughs> who am I? But he loved me. He loves you. He cares deeply for you. The worldly systems and all its allurements mean nothing to a Christian. And we have to recognize that we have died to the world, and the world is dead to us. It, it has no impact. 
Uh, we need to remove ourselves from the things of this world that we might take pride in and focus on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I always love Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, If I then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Um, we're dead to the world. We need to live like we are dead to this world. Uh, don't buy into what the world says is, is good and pleasurable. Uh, we know that what God says, what God has given us, is so important. Let me just read the, the words of this song, the lyrics. I, I think it kind of brings, to, brings home what, what Paul is trying to say. It says, My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human's wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. To wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. Could that be a prayer of yours to pray and understand how important Christ is to our life? Do you find that pride creeps up in your life without your, your understanding, you're expecting it? Um, I hope you can see the damaging effects of pride in a person's life, how it can ruin your ministry, it can ruin your marriage, it can bring you uh, down. Um, we must determine to rid it from our life. Uh, the Judaizers boasted in those that uh, follow their teachings, uh, perhaps sending some to a Christless eternity. But we must boast in none other than the precious cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you rejected pride in your life? Have we said, I don't want to be pride? Have we said, God forbid that I should glory? Are you focusing on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding the value of the cross for Christians. There's nothing more important in our life than knowing what Christ has done for us. Are you living as dead to the world? To you are the pleasures of glory so much more important than the pleasures of this world. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And I think the first step in us overcoming pride in our life is that we need to reject it. We need to repent of it and to look to the cross. Will you come this morning to repent of your pride? Will you this morning admit your prideful ways and seek God's help to rid it from uh, your life?